welcome. This is an awesome podcast. This yeah. is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> to the Jeff. It's a lot of whiskey, Jeff. Macalino. Jeff Macalino. 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 Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another great episode. I uh, hope you enjoyed last week's and uh, got another great one for you this week. Um, I don't really have much else to talk about, so I'll just dive into the guest. Um, although I will say this, I will say I'm trying to, I think I mentioned on my last podcast, I think I mentioned I'm working on getting the my house ready to uh, sell. So I am trying to book a lot of guests. So if you know someone or are someone who would like to be on the podcast and record maybe sometime in September or, or early October, hit me up. Let me know uh, because I'm, I'm, I am figuring there's a good chance I will be out of circulation for a couple weeks. You know, you don't want to rely on having the Internet day one when you move in. Um, I will, to follow up on last week, I will say that um, my internet has been upgraded. Of course, hopefully that stays wherever I end up moving. Uh, and uh, no problems streaming the Saints game on uh, my YouTube Sunday ticket on Sunday. Although I'm not smart enough to figure out how to get the multi-game view. Hopefully I can figure that out this Sunday. Um, because the Saints play Monday night football. Um, so actually, if you're listening to this right when it comes out, you don't know, you know, I'm on pins and needles because the Saints don't play until 7.15 p.m. on Monday night, Eastern time. Uh, <laughs> anyways, and the Saints want to know under new quarterback Derek Carr. Anyways, let's dive into the episode. You, If you want to hear me talk about football, you can go hop over to FL Teams on the YouTube or Facebook or Twitter. Okay, today's episode uh, was really a very, very enjoyable one to uh, record. I'll be honest about that, because obviously, why why wouldn't I? <laughs> but Averill Seal is the guest, and he's really a delightful dude. Um, the interesting thing is, the main reason I ended up asking him on was because I knew he wrote a book about, and this book is called Monster, Monster Hike, a 100-mile inquiry into the Sasquatch mystery. So I wanted to talk to him about Bigfoot. But while I was doing my research, I also found out that uh, at age 50, and this was five years ago thereabouts, uh, Seal had a major hemorrhagic, I'm probably not saying that word correctly, stroke that left him partially disabled. Uh, so we kind of start, I think I, I talked to him about that for a chunk of time here in the beginning, uh, because it is fascinating to me and uh, his recovery and his attitude and his story. Uh, so we have some some chat about that. He, uh, Averill has written 10 books overall, and he just has a new one called The River Nuts. Down the nooses with one stroke. Again, probably mispronouncing that too because I'm dumb. Uh, I feel especially dumb today. I think it's because I haven't been drinking for a few days. Uh, <laughs> but I'm trying to get through this. Anyways, 
enjoy it. Uh, we cover several different topics uh, in our talk, and uh, I think you know the back half of it we we focus in on on Bigfoot, uh, but some fascinating stuff and a really good guy who uh, I was glad to spend some time with, and hope that our paths will cross again. All right, let's dive on into the episode. But first, let me tell you about our sponsor for this episode, Xsense. Xsense is an innovative company providing home safety products, including cutting-edge smoke detectors, carbon monoxide alarms, and other smart home security systems designed to keep you and your loved ones safe 24-7. With easy-to-install devices and smart technology, you'll have peace of mind knowing that Xsense is always on guard. And I want to tell you about the SC07 combination smoke and carbon monoxide alarm detector. This detector detects both smoke and carbon monoxide. It's built with a sealed lithium battery that provides 10 years of continuous power. Plus, the informative LCD displays the battery level and real-time CO levels in PPM. That means carbon monoxide levels in parts per million. See, I'm smart. As a special offer for our podcast listeners, Xsense is offering an exclusive 15% discount on your first purchase. Just visit Xsense.com. That's x-sense.com, the link's in the show notes, and use promo code Jeff Macalino at checkout. Protect what matters most with Xsense. All right, everybody, I'm very pleased to welcome Avril Seal to the Jeff Macalino podcast. How are you this morning? I'm well, and thanks for saying it right. Uh, it, it was... It was, it was it's usually about uh, three in ten people that uh, could say Avril, and in, uh, instead of I won't even confuse the matter by by saying the other pronunciation. But uh, yeah, thanks. We're off to a great start. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I usually ask people before I hit record how to pronounce their name, and I'm like, no, I think I got this one. You, you absolutely and, nailed it. And I'll be honest, because I didn't ask you. I was nervous. I was going to be like, uh, let's just start this one over again. <laughs> yeah. Again, the beauty of editing. Yeah, yeah. It, but it, no it, need. It can help. It can help. Hold on. I'm going to pee right now. <laughs> Inside joke, folks. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to those 30 seconds into the podcast, so that we're off to a good start. Uh, <laughs> uh, Avril, so uh, there's... Frankly, there's a lot of stuff uh, I, I want to talk to you about. So we'll see what we get to today. Um, yeah, let's just dive in. So let's, well, uh, you've written, what is it, 10 books now? Yeah, I'm, I'm holding it 10 for the moment. I just had one uh, that's coming out this week, in fact. So uh, I'm in double digits now. So, but I'm, that's probably going to be <laughs> double digits is probably going to be it as far as uh, I don't think I'll make it to a hundred. Yeah. That's a large hill to climb to get, to get from 10 <laughs> like, to a hundred. <laughs> that's Stephen King stuff, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I, I have to imagine if you end up writing that many, that at some point you're like, Oh, am I stealing from myself? I think I wrote yeah. this before <laughs> that or they're very short, you know? Hey, so. That's true. I guess. I guess if if you're writing like five page books, I I guess I could do a hundred. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. That wouldn't be any good though because I can't. I I'm yeah. I can't figure out the. 
I try to be a writer. I can't figure out the 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 everything's like uh, well, this is actually this actually leads to a good question. Everything I I always say I've got 10 things I'm working on. They're between 20 and 70% completed, but nothing's got the connective tissue. Um yeah. What what's uh, walk me through? I guess your process a little bit when you conceive the idea. That's obviously I don't want to say that's the easy part. That that seems to be the easy part for me is the conception of the idea. Yeah. Um, but finishing the product, even the beginning and ending, I think can be easy sometimes. But it's all everything else um yeah walk, walk me through your process a little bit well the, the process is interesting i mean for, for starters i'm not a, a full-time author i have a a, a full-time job as a writer uh, at at the university of texas here in austin and uh and so this is nights and weekends uh you know that i do my uh, my personal writing and i kind of it, it feels a lot like i have uh i have these bins that mental bins that I put things in and, you know, some are 10% full and some are 80% full. And, and these bins are years and years old. Uh, but I, every time I have a, a, a new thought about something or find out something new about a subject, I'll kind of throw it mentally in that bin. And then there comes a point where the bin is full. And that's, a, that's the point where I kind of know that's a book. And so then that's when I start uh, writing it. Um, so that was the case in, in my Bigfoot book. Um, I've kind of been thinking about this stuff for years and years and sort of, uh, you know, throwing things in this imaginary bin. Uh, but I knew once it got past a certain point, okay, I need, I need to go ahead and write a book. And the same has been true. You know, I, I do kind of an eclectic, uh, have an eclectic catalog of stuff. And so uh, I'm, the book I'm, I'm working on right now is a book about uh, vaudeville. And it's a, it's a part of my family. It's my grandmother's family. who was a showbiz family in vaudeville around the turn of the 20th century. And so I kind of had always had an interest in that. Like, what is that? What was that about? Who are these people? What did they, what were their lives like? And, uh, and then I hit on, I found a, a, a blogger who had written a piece about this family, just a little, a little slice of it, but it gave me, there was so much in that, that it gave me like, okay, now I need to, I really need to you know, get off my butt and write this book. And, and so now it's over 200 pages and it's, it's a book. I just need to into, into the editing phase now and the editing and polishing phase of it now. But that's kind of the way it works, you know, whether whatever it is, whether it's Bigfoot or vaudeville or <laughs> or the Baha'i faith or uh, uh, kayaking, uh, which is the, the book that's coming out this week uh, about the Nueces River and a trip that I did down it um, or my stroke that I had a stroke five years ago. And that's that's kind of a part of my story now from from here on out, you know, every every personal memoir that I write, that's going to be a part of it because it's such a huge part of my life. Um, so whatever the subject is, I just, I have these, like I say, these mental bins and I, they just, when they fill, fill up, that's when I know it's time to write a book. Um, I've, I have so many, so many questions for you. 
I'm 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 trying to edit my own uh selection here. Uh let's let's I guess let me ask you about the stroke if if yeah. if that's okay. Um first off, how many you know, you're now working on your 11th it sounds like. Right. Um how many books before and after? Like Oh, before the stroke there were let's see. Uh I want to say there were eight okay and then and then i had the stroke and and uh i started writing the book about the stroke uh i would say 24 hours from from the time of the stroke i mean i was i knew not not writing it but i knew lying in the icu in the hospital that that was going to be my next book (laughs) and so they say write what you know right and so i knew that i was going to know stroke better than anything else and so i just started taking mental notes and within i'd say within two or three weeks i was doing dictation uh into a google doc uh just thoughts you know not polished just like like here's what happened today uh you know i was trying to make it entertaining and so i was like well here's a funny thing that happened you know a funny thing happened on the way to the stroke (laughs) kind of a (laughs) uh, kind of a mentality but it, you know, through that method, I was able to kind of get a critical mass of material, and then start refining it, working with it, massaging it into uh, into more of a you know a writerly uh, feel. Uh, but yeah, that so there. Were, uh, short answer to your question, I guess there were uh, eight books before the stroke, and then there have been two since. It doesn't. Um, it, so. It doesn't seem from that answer and from talking to you, frankly, like I I, I don't know why I, I have a weird interest in strokes or fear of strokes, maybe is is the right way of saying it. Um, yeah. But uh, it doesn't seem like well on your friend. end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <You'd> be afraid. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't seem like there's been any. I mean, again, I didn't know you beforehand, but it doesn't seem like there's been a a, a mental decline at the very well, least. <laughs> I was um, I was lucky in that regard. I really was. Um, and because my stroke was uh, was left brain, it affects my right arm and leg. So I can't use can't use my right arm at all. Um, I can I can lift it, but that's that's all I get. You know, I can't I can't extend my fingers and can't. You know, I can't do anything dexterous like that. Mm. But because it was a left brain stroke, interestingly, a lot of people that do have left brain strokes have aphasia, which is they lose the ability to speak. Right. They lose they lose their language. Uh, and well, if that had happened to me as a writer, you know, I write uh, and not not just as my advo- advocation, but as my vocation. Uh, if if that had happened to me, I don't know what what I would have done. Uh, I remember I was in the hospital in the rehab hospital and um, I was, they have a gym in the rehab hospital and there are three or four people in the gym at any given time. And uh, they have little stairs that you practice climbing up and climbing down and, you know, different kinds of weight machines and and tables that you lie on and so forth. And there was another guy in there and, and they were saying, yeah, they're, rehabbing this guy so he could go back to work and i asked just just innocently oh well what what is his job and they said well he's a bricklayer 
<laughs> I thought, oh my God. Like if that was if that was the job I had, the only job I had to go back to, I would just be screwed. Uh I just you know, couldn't go. Yeah. I'd be on, like on disability for the rest of my life or whatever. So thankfully, I mean, there were things in place in my life already that you know, I, I had a I had a desk job, I had a white collar job uh that involved uh, writing and I did not lose my language. And so now I do a little bit of dictation, like I mentioned earlier, but mostly it's it's just typing with the left hand. Wow. And so that that shift P, <laughs> shift option P or whatever you have to get. To. Yeah. Yeah. There's all kinds of all kinds of creative ways that I've had to learn to, uh, yeah, to do yeah. shift option, you know, nine or whatever it is with my left hand. <laughs> you you've so. become a great one-handed typist, I'm sure of that. <laughs> I try and, my best. That's that's what I got to work with. So, well, and uh, this is a weird, stupid question, but were you a right-handed person before? Of course, of course yeah. Of course, I, was, <laughs> I don't yeah. know why that's. <laughs> and I, it, it did strike me when you were giving me the answer too. I'm like, oh yeah, and now I know why I'm so afraid of strokes. It's me yeah, lo- it, like losing your voice. Like, uh, well, that's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be the equivalent. <laughs> yeah that that would that would be like all right well what what is there then take up painting or something i mean i i actually do write about this in in the last chapter of that book which is called with one hand tied behind my brain um Mm. and the the last chapter or the the there's sort of a an afterward that i write uh specifically for stroke survivors because the book is not really for stroke survivors it's for for anybody uh but you know naturally stroke survivors and and family of stroke survivors are the ones that uh i think are most attracted to it but i i talk about this i said you know if you've had a stroke and you know you wind up in a wheelchair well that really sucks but uh the old cliche about when one when one door closes another one may open i mean it's it sounds corny, but uh, but that's what other what other choice do you have you know and so I really encourage people just to explore you know it's like you've uh, you've wanted to simplify your life you've said you wanted to simplify your life for a long time and now that's been forced upon you uh, by this event so take up painting take up photography you know if you've lost if you've lost your ability to speak maybe. Uh, maybe you be- that's your window to become you know one of the girl- world's greatest cooks or something like that it's something that doesn't involve uh, you know whatever it is you've lost and so uh it's a, it's a it's a half a glass half full uh kind of mentality that you really have to adopt i mean it's it's not something i would not something i would have chosen for myself not something i would have wished to my worst enemies uh but here we are you know and um it's just all about making the best out of life. And uh, I, I, you know, as I said, I still have the ability to work. And uh, I was 50 when it happened. Uh, and uh, it could have easily killed me. I had to have emergency brain surgery mm. that basically saved my life because I had, I had gone into a seizure uh, about three hours after the stroke. And so I was, I was on my way out. I mean, I didn't see the, the tunnel with a light at the end of it or anything like that. I just like fainted on a gurney and then I woke up 
you know, seemingly a few seconds later in a hospital room, having had massive brain surgery. So, uh, but I do, I have three sons and I get to watch them grow up now. You know, they're up two in college and one in high school now. And uh, so, uh, you know, God willing, I get to hang around for a few more years, watch them graduate college, what have you, get married, uh, have, have, uh, some grandkids for me, hopefully, uh, one day. And I'm 56 now. So, I mean, optimistically, you know, I could be, yeah, I could have 25 more years left. And, uh, what are you going to do with those 25 years? You know, you're going to sit around and feel sorry for yourself, watch Netflix, uh, 14 hours a day, <laughs> or are you going to try to try to leave a little more of a footprint, uh, you know, on this, on this world. And so, trying my best to do the latter yeah no that's that's and not to harp on it but assuming i'm i i was reading about the right person uh you you were straight edge too like it wasn't like a uh you know you were out doing a bunch of bad things to cause yourself to have a stroke at 50 right as far as i know you know i was i was uh you know i haven't haven't drunk and uh not that drinking is a huge risk for stroke. Smoking, of course, is, but never smoked. Uh, never smoked a single cigarette or anything else. And hadn't drunk, hadn't had a drink in over 20 years. Uh, and was not in uh, amazing shape, but was not, was, you know, I hiked a lot and, uh, you know, vigorous yard work, uh, very active, you know, just, you know, outside doing, doing stuff, camping with my kids. Uh, and so, um, you know, again, not, not the world's greatest physical specimen, but you know, not, not so. And the stroke that I had was a, was a hemorrhage. It was a hemorrhagic stroke. There are two different kinds. Um, and one of them is, one of them is a clot and that's the majority of strokes are clots. And those can happen from those can happen from high cholesterol or um, that that sort of thing. Um, but my stroke was a hemorrhage, and it was caused by uh, a malformed artery that I've had since birth. So it was really a kind of a time bomb um, that that took fifty years to go off mm. uh, in my head. But as you say, I mean, I had I had led led not a. I wasn't a health, I wouldn't call myself a health nut, <laughs> but uh, reasonably active and, you know, staying away from vices the uh, best I, best I could. And still it happened. So yeah, it, yeah, it, there's no, nothing we can point to really as, you know, something that I did that was, that made me at fault. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that's, the the scary thing is it's it's there's there's so much luck involved. I I say this all yeah. the time. It's like yeah, you know, no 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 one should live my lifestyle. Certainly, however, <laughs> it, it's it's still a you know it's still a, a roll of the dice. What what actually gets me or <laughs> you yeah, know right. what gets anyone? We never know, right? We just I woke up that morning, got him on. It was a Friday morning. Woke up in January. And uh, got dressed, got a protein shake off the counter, you know, told my wife I loved her, waved to the kids, took off to work like any other day. And uh, and actually, I was preparing for a podcast 
<laughs> when it's when it struck me when the when the stroke struck oh I was, god uh, <laughs> i was i was at work but i was moving my stuff my laptop and so forth microphone to a kind of a storage closet that had a desk in it and, and i needed to be i kind of work in a public area and so i needed to be in a quiet space and so i was moving my stuff into the storage closet and it was on a friday so if, like if things had gone a little bit different the timing had been different i could have gone down in that storage room and nobody would have found me until monday morning mm. you know three days later and i probably would have been would have been gone i would have found my body at that point uh so yeah we just the point being we just never know like i had no it was it wasn't a history in my family i didn't wasn't you know doing high risk you know st stuff like smoking uh just it just happened you know so there's a there's a philosophical lesson in that i guess just don't assume that tomorrow is is going to be uh is going to be there you know if, if there's something you want to do or you've always thought about doing uh don't put it off for no good reason you know mm. you can't i say in the book you know you, you can't live every day like it's your last day because you just like go into huge credit card debt. <laughs> yeah. there, there are probably movies like this, you know, people that live every day like it's their last day. I mean, you, so you have to balance, they have to strike a balance between, uh, you know, things like saving for the future, investing long-term in, in your future, your family's future and all that. But don't, don't put off doing things for no good reason. That's how I say it. For instance, I, I went, uh, I, my three boys were all in boy scouts and uh there was there's this big uh adv high adventure camp is what they call it and there were four of them about four of them in the united states but the, the most popular one is called philmont and it's in new mexico and it's a it's about a 13-day hike through the rockies in new mexico and i did that with my oldest son uh the year before the stroke and if I had, if I had let, you know, laziness or something else get in the way of that, that's an experience that we had together that I would have never had. Mm. Uh, and uh, he went on other high adventure trips after the stroke. Uh, but am I glad that I went on that trip when I did? Yeah, because I could never have done it. But afterwards, you know, I mean, I can walk now, uh, but it's not, it's not pretty. I mean, if I were to get in, get up and go let my dog into the bedroom <laughs> over there. Like she's probably wanting to get in. Uh, you would see, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, slow and awkward and off balance and, and all of that stuff. So uh, mountain climbing is behind me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> most, most definitely, I think. Uh, but I did, but it's forced me out. Also, I mean, that, that, that uh, urge to be active and urge to have adventures has stayed with me. And um, that's really at the, at the core of this latest book, which is uh, a trip that I took uh, in a kayak down uh, a river here in South Texas um, that I, I recruited a longtime friend, friend that I've known since high school to go with me and it's a pedal kayak. So I, I can't row uh because of my arm i can't uh, i tried and it doesn't work and so but i did figure out that uh, these pedal kayaks that are used mainly used by fishermen i'm sure you see a lot of them in florida 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I could do that. And, and I, I modified one of the pedals and I, I put this big plexiglass box. Uh, I bolted it on one pedal because I'm, my foot fits in that. So I have power in my leg, but I don't, I don't have fine control over my ankle. So, uh, so I, I got a tandem pi uh, kayak for kayak for two. It was a pedal kayak. And, and he and I went five days and four nights down this river to the Gulf of Mexico. Mm. And, uh, and so that's the, that's the, the setting and the, the situation of, uh, of my new book it's called the river nuts. The river nuts. Um, yep. Yeah. Um, nuts being the, the English word for the Nueces, which is the, the river that we went down. So multiple layers of meaning there, but anyway, <laughs> uh, so I did that. And then I've also gotten uh, hooked on that uh, recumbent tricycle. Uh, that I bought, uh, I couldn't ride my bike anymore because my balance is is shot, and I just if I were to fall over to my right side, there'd be no way to break my fall, that sort of thing. So mm. cycling <laughs> cycling is just off the table. Uh, but I I I found these uh, recumbent tricycles, and they're the they're called tadpole trikes. They got two the two tires in front and one in the back, uh, and. Uh, man, it's just great. It's just like opened up a whole new world for me. And so I, I got a pickup truck and I throw it in the pickup truck. Uh, well, very slowly <laughs> put it in the pickup truck <laughs> and, uh, I go to, you know, state parks all over, all over Texas. And I've taken it, uh, you know, probably 20 or 30 places and, and it's, it's expanded my range of what I can do. Um, walking, I can do it, but it's, like I said, it's very, it's very hard. It's slow. And I tire out very easily from it, but I can get on this trike. And I did actually, I did a hundred miles, almost a hundred miles in two days, uh, in Mississippi this year, um, on, uh, on what's called a rails to trails trail. Uh, it's, they convert these railroad beds into recreational trails, mm. uh, take the ties off them and the rails off them and then pave them or whatever. And so there's this one trail in Mississippi that uh, that I did with the same friend that I went on the river boat or the the river trip with, uh, and did you know 45 miles one way and the next day 45 miles back, and so that that's for people who are uh, are mobility challenged like I am but still have that hunger for the outdoors and to accomplish things. Uh, it's that's been huge for me. That's been a real a real life changing thing. Nice. I, I, I love the, uh, I don't know the, the spirit of all of it. Uh, and I, I when, when you're talking, I, I just, I, I wrote this down, uh, not even for podcasting, but I just wrote down, like, just savor the moments. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know why I, I wrote yeah. that down for myself. And now I'm like, well, I might as well share it with, with him yeah. because he's the one who made but it it, it it is one of those you know thing i i don't think it's a very interesting uh gonna sound like i'm i'm 100 years old but it, but it's <laughs> it, there's an interesting balance between nowadays everyone just uh, picture 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 of of the moment and I, I, at times, I'm like, oh, God, I wish I had a picture because 
that would help me get back to the moment that I I'm trying to remember. And it was great. But if I had something to look at, to, to really jog me, um, then uh, of course there are other people who go through life with their, you know, of course, audio listeners. I'm holding my phone in front of my face. <laughs> so, real, right. real good gesture for an audio podcast. Uh, but you, you know, it's that weird balance of like, you you got to savor it. I don't know. I don't know when to pull your phone out and snap a picture when when that's when. <laughs> so yeah, I yeah, it's a weird. Uh, it's a weird balance. I haven't mastered it for sure. <laughs> you know, you're you're about 20 years younger than I am, I think. Um, but you know, I grew up in the in the days of film, uh, which I I'm guessing, I don't know if you have you ever shot on film? Um uh, not well, <laughs> you know, I I I grew up with the the my parents had the big video camera that you had to hold right. but it was like a VHS you know, or something. yeah it was a vhs yeah. tape inside of it the that was christmas morning my dad had the right. 30 pound camera on his shoulder to to film us as kids opening presents um uh -huh. so <laughs> fi video <laughs> yeah he's at a 4k back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah no He's actually he's found a way uh, to plug a VCR into his computer, and he's converting all of those now to to little USB oh, nice. sticks. But but uh, but yeah, that, that I, I guess that's the the thing is back not that long when I was a kid, uh, even you know into my probably high school years. That was taking pictures wasn't. Yeah, well, well, for one thing, you didn't carry your camera around with you everywhere you went. Right. For another thing, taking a picture had a cost associated with it. You mm -hmm. took a picture, you had 36 pictures max, mm -hmm. sometimes 24. Yeah. But 36 pictures and then on a roll, and then you took that roll to the grocery store or the drugstore that developed it. You came back, you paid your, you paid your $15 or whatever it was for those 36 pictures. And then you put them in an album if they were good or you, in a box or threw them away if there weren't any good. But it's just such a different, it's such a shift in our mentality now. I mean, we take pictures of seats and <laughs> any little thing that strikes us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How, how many uh, people take a picture up, which is go ahead. Well, how, how many people took picture of food? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> nobody never. would waste a, one of their no no <laughs> yeah it's that's that's a shift i mean i've seen a lot of of change in in my life and i'm not even all that old compared to a lot of folks but um that's a big one i mean just the fact that a you carry a camera wherever you go mm -hmm. b there's absolutely no cost to taking a picture um you know i i I do a lot of family research. I was talking a minute ago about that, the new book I'm working on. And these, you know, my great, great grandfather, sorry, one great, my, my great grandfather who was in show business for 35 or 40 years. There are three photos that exist of him. And he was in show business. Wow. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't a farmer. 
like a lot of my other uh, ancestors were. But uh, so and there were, you know, there were three uh, for my grandmother. You know, there were probably you could probably dig up 150 pictures of her. Uh, and then moving to my dad, just going right, right down the line, you know, there are probably, oh, 550 pictures of him in existence. And of me, there's one every day in my life, <laughs> you know, the way that the, way that the, 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 the curve uh, of media that we're generating. And like, I don't even know what that looks like for my, for my kids, you know, in the, in the Instagram age. Uh, yeah, we we were documenting them at a frenetic pace from the day they were born. Yeah, uh, even before probably. <laughs> digitally, yeah, I mean, early digital cameras and stuff. Uh, and so, like the the archive of their lives photographically is just immense. I mean, it's it's kind of it's weird to think like what does that look like in another fifty to a hundred years, like. People that are born a hundred years from now, this is just going to be like a real time account. Yeah, their whole life, life is basically you know, yeah. The Truman Show. You can, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it, it's weird, and you I, you almost wonder if there's going to be a shift away, right? Like maybe yeah, you know, a couple generations from now, it'll be like yeah, there's only three pictures of me in my first, you know, four, you know, whatever. Um, and that becomes like a badge of honor. <clears throat> right right yeah. like that's that's the point i i avoid the cameras uh if but i also romanticize a little bit in the uh i'm i'm 36 so i have an unhealthy fear of dying i think because i'm you know relatively uh, healthy you despite one, my lifestyle you got one foot in the grave jeff yeah well that's just... a, a people have even 36 a, a, yeah, people have shit on me because in the podcast description, I think I wrote two and a, almost three years ago, uh, I wrote my midlife crisis, and that was when I was 34. And and they're like, well, midlife? I'm like, yeah, oh, I don't, 68 seems, seems for, for the way I live, that seems a, a aggressively optimistic. Um, but I always, I always think, and I, I've said this too, it's like, you know, the, the one thing I love is if I if I die tomorrow, if I get in a car accident when I leave to go pick up my kids in a couple hours, uh, I've got days of me talking. Now, it's not all, all stuff I want my kids necessarily listening to, but it's like <laughs> my grandchildren, great-grandchildren who I might never meet. Yeah. I they'll mean, they'll be cool. able to know me if they want to um, right. because – you know it's it's out there i'm not you know it, it again it's not all a plus material but it hasn't but, been taken down yet <laughs> hasn't been taken down yet and that's a, even even doing the couple movies not that they're going to get to know me but it's like they'll see me like uh, uh it yeah. won't be that's very cool too i mean i think about that a lot because i mean i would i would kill to have a record I, I'm I'm so uh, I'm so interested in the lives of these people I'm writing about these these ancestors that I'm writing about, and any little letter is like like worth its weight in gold. If it's mm. a letter, a letter, or a photograph, it just it it increases increases their humanity just exponentially because in so many cases in genealogy, it's just you get a birth certificate, 
if they enlisted in a war in, a, in the military, you get like a draft card. Yeah. <laughs> and then an obit, an obit that tells you where they worked and how many kids they had. And that's kind of it, you know, or maybe it's a, it, maybe it's a land deed somewhere. Like it's, you know, mildly interesting if, if you're into that, but I mean, something like a letter or even a photo can just, you know, they say photos worth a thousand words. I mean, that can, you can just see so much of people's character, like the, the material culture of what they were, you know, what they had to, like, I've got this old photo on my wall of my great grandmother's family sitting in front of their model T back in Oklahoma in the 1930s. And they've got this chair pulled out for, for the, for the grandmother for the mother and father of the family and they're all just and they're all standing around in mud and uh <laughs> and it's just great there's just so much in that you know um, you can see the clothes they're wearing the things they were proud of like that car you know made sure the car was in the background yeah because that was a huge deal apparently at that point uh, but then they're they're standing in mud at the same time uh, in their in their sunday best you know yeah. they had their best clothes on but they're you know so it's just it's interesting juxtapositions like that 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 make that make them come to life you know uh, but so yeah what you're saying about you know having having a record that's you know going unless something goes real sideways with civilization uh, is going to outlive you <laughs> uh it's cool i mean that's going to be that's going to be great for your kids grandkids hopefully and and i kind of feel the same about the books that I'm writing. I mean, it's like, I'm yeah. not, I'm not selling, you know, I, I joke that I sell tens upon tens of books. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it would be nice if, uh, you know, if I could, you know, quit my day job and, uh, and be a full-time author, probably not going to happen. You know, if I had to lay odds on it at this point, but, but the fact that these books are out there and are, uh, Unless I say, unless something goes, goes really wrong and, and like, we don't have electricity, any or electricity anymore, or, uh, you know, databases anymore, they'll be able to discover that stuff. Uh, and if, you know, my great, great grandson or granddaughter, um, she, if she knows my name, she'll be able to, to discover that and, uh, and maybe hear this very podcast, you know? Yeah. Hey, yeah. how are you doing? <laughs> Susanna, uh, Susanna of uh, twenty one thirty two. Uh, <laughs> good to talk yeah. to you. Yeah, it's a it's a interesting, and that, that's exactly with your books. That's exactly kind of the, the same thing I was thinking. It's just it's it's there. Yeah. It's somebody somewhere will will discover it one day, get a kick out of it. Hopefully, yeah, a little bit of insight as to life in the twenty first century. And and to to make a quantum shift in this podcast because <laughs> I I'm like I, I'm looking I'm like oh man we we've we've talked for a long time about like really interesting life stuff and I'm like oh I was like oh hey I got a Bigfoot guy coming <laughs> and I <laughs> what we've been talking about is the is the important stuff really oh really yeah yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. that's uh. Uh, a, a credit to, to a credit to you uh for for because <laughs> I, I i did in in my head i'm like this, this whole podcast could just be this interesting life stuff 
Uh, but I, I got to ask you about Big Four. <laughs> All right, well, fire away. Um, I'll say everything I know. So, uh, Bigfoot is, I, I guess we'll start with this. And I kind of know some of this answer because I've, I've read a little bit of, of your book. Um, I, the, the first question you have to ask anyone when you're talking about Bigfoot is, do you believe in Bigfoot? <laughs> you can't start uh, yes. without asking that, <laughs> right. right? I thought you were going to ask, have I seen one? Uh, but, uh, I'll, the answer to your question is yes, I do believe, uh, and there are lots of reasons for that. Um, and it gets to, uh, it gets to the question of, uh, proof versus evidence. Mm. Uh, you can have a lot and a lot, a lot of evidence for something and no proof of it. But just because you don't have the proof doesn't mean that you don't believe. Um, and, you know, I said I said we had talked about the important stuff, but I mean, I feel like this is important, too, because I, I feel that's it's kind of the same question um, about belief in God. Mm -hmm. um, and I make, I make this point in the book um, that. I think there's a lot of evidence for God, but you can never prove that there's a God. Uh, and so it's in a way the, the, the mon monster hike, uh, my Sasquatch book is, is a lot about theology uh, just as much as it is, as it is about crypto zoology. It might take a long time to get there, <laughs> but, but uh, I think that's one of the things that, that fascinated me about the subject is the question of, how much evidence does it require for you to believe in something that sounds crazy uh, without the without the uh, proof of it? And, and where is that line between proof and good evidence? Uh, so that's those are some of the, the questions. But short answer to your question is yes. Count me count me as a believer. Whoa! Uh, by the way, what I, I I feel like we're very simpatico in a lot of ways because I wrote down proof versus evidence, and this was again just a note for myself, and then I wrote God. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. I, but I before you even said that, I was like, oh, that's a, <laughs> just an interesting thought that I have to write down, and yeah, yeah. yeah. So so uh, that's I'm I'm right there with you, um, Bigfoot though um do you have a specific theory as to what it is or where it i don't i feel weird calling it an it but i mean <laughs> we can't gender it i i suppose but i don't, I don't know how that works nowadays but <laughs> <laughs> right what are what are bigfoot's pronouns yeah right right yeah <laughs> i want to call it a he but i feel like that might be you know maybe they're all female yeah. bigfoot no no he, i big don't think feet. that's possible <laughs> so yeah to your to the point of your question i do think that they are a uh i i do think they are a species at least one species of animal and therefore uh to exist there has to be a breeding population of mm -hmm. them 
So I, I do think it's a naturalistic. Uh, I mean, I don't know. There may be paranormal uh, aspects to the Bigfoot phenomenon, but I don't think there have to be paranormal aspects or supernatural aspects to Bigfoot. You hear in, in the Bigfoot world, there are various schools of thought. You know, like you've got the you've got the ape school that says it's, it's just an ape uh and, and then there are other there's sort of the ufo school mm -hmm. it's like well they're interdimensional travelers and that's why they're never that's why we don't have solid evidence of them yet is because they go through these portals in the forest and and that's kind of you know there's there's a relationship to these uh luminous orbs that that are reported in the forest Sometimes like there'll be a, a Bigfoot sighting and there'll be an orb sighting and that sort of thing. So my, I mean, where I come down on it is that uh, I don't think you have to resort to uh, paranormal, truly paranormal phenomenon to explain the existence of them. I think they could be natural uh, species. And that's kind of, that's kind of the camp I'm in. Uh, now, are they, uh, to what extent are they human uh, versus animal? I think, I mean, there are there are sort of these cryptic reports that that they've done. They've actually sequenced DNA on on a couple of them, and they show uh, they show you know close relationship to modern humans uh, and. Those reports are controversial, obviously. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, the, the uh, kind of, you don't really have to say controversial when you're talking about Bigfoot. You just assume it's all controversial. But it's interesting, you know, the, 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 the theories that have been floated about what it actually is genetically and that it's, uh, it's some, those theories that uh, purport to have been done claim that it's, uh, sort of a descendant of a modern uh, female uh, and a, an unknown primate. So you get, so it's a, it seems like a, I don't know, if that's true, there's a genetic relationship that's close enough that, that uh, through, uh, through back, uh, oh, the, there's a word for it that I'm blanking on now, but back crossing, um, they could be uh, the close enough to to create fertile offspring. Um, like if you take a donkey and a horse, and you met you those two mate, you get a mule, and the mule is sterile, mm. and so uh, and so the mule, as I understand it, is not really a species. It's a hybrid animal of these two other species because it's infertile. So uh, I think they call that an F1 hybrid. Uh, so, uh, but apparently whatever this unknown uh, primate father was <laughs> in the Bigfoot genealogy, it was close enough uh, to, uh, to the modern human uh, mother that uh that could create you know multiple i guess siblings that would then interbreed and create uh, you know widen the base of the species 
but a lot of human, a lot of early, you know, prehistoric human uh, anthropology is, is just riddled with, with archaic humans or, you know, humans that are not modern in, in our sense, but are, are close enough, <laughs> you know, th things, you know, like Neanderthals and Denisovans, uh, you know, that the, the uh, the current thinking among amongst anthropologists is that the human tree is more like a hedge, and uh, there are lots of sideways. You know, nature's experimenting all the time with the new speciation, and uh, and every couple of years we discover a new early human. Uh, that uh, you know, do you remember the like the Hobbit that they talked about? Uh, Homo florensis, I think it was a, it was real short no. human uh, skeleton that they discovered. Oh, probably twenty years ago now. Um, <clears throat> and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna get this wrong because I'm just freestyling, but I think it was in Indonesia uh, somewhere. But it was only you know it was it was contemporaneous with Homo sapiens. I think it was maybe forty or fifty thousand years old only, and so. Very recently, and, and especially with the Neanderthal example, you find uh, you find these species living side by side with modern humans uh, that are not modern humans. And so the the thought about Sasquatches is that they're they're one more example of a near you know a near human that didn't quite make it, there, <laughs> uh, and that they're. They're a highly intelligent uh, primate uh, of enormous size that have that are incredibly furtive and have found a way to put as many natural obstacles between them and us uh, as they can, um, running out of space in, on this continent uh, for that to, for that strategy to be effective. But that's um, there are, as I say in the book, probably in excess of 10,000 credible sightings of, of these creatures. And so, so that back to your first question about, do you believe that's, that's sort of the starting point for me is that to say that, <clears throat> to say that they don't exist is to say that every single one of those 10,000 sightings was uh, a hoax or, or a hallucination or a misidentification. And there are some of all of those. There are hoaxes. Right. There are misidentifications. And, and some people probably do have hallucinations. <laughs> there are mushrooms in the forest after all. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, but to say every single one of them is, is a result of that, and that, and that uh, Native Americans uh, can't tell the difference between a bear and an upright figure, you know, walking on two legs. Uh, because that goes it, it goes well back before European contact you know the tradition of the wild man uh, and you know the name Sasquatch is a is, is a uh, transliteration of an Indian word so the Indians have known about them many hundreds of years uh, and have their own sightings and stories and names for them so uh, again it, a little presumptuous of us to just write all of that off as a being hoax that started in the 1960s you know yeah it, it's 
it's interesting to um it's one of those one of those things that uh i don't want to say conspiracies but it's one of those things that i feel like bigfoot gets kind of left out of the again not saying they're aliens but nowadays even nobody cares about aliens it seems like it's like It's like, why, why, why are the government's talking about potential aliens and people are like, uh, I don't care. Let's talk about Joe Biden and Donald Trump. It's like, well, come on, guys. Like, it's, it's much more interesting. <laughs> right. you know? How interesting does it have to be for us to turn our eyes from politics? Right. It, it's yeah. it's amazing. And Bigfoot, I feel like, almost gets overlooked. Um well, and it is interesting to think like in my head, I'm like, well, the government knows something probably, but they're not going to tell us for some reason, which makes it be like, well, so why aren't they telling us? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, in the book, I talk about, um, go through various theories about that. Um, and you know, one of them is, is, uh, follow the money and the timber industry and Mm. to what extent does what to what extent does the forest service uh, and it being in bed with the timber industry that's one of the stated missions of the forest service is to is timber oil and gas and recreational use those are the three stool the three legs on the stool that that the forest the u.s forest service uh operate uh and so what would be their motivation for, for not uh, allowing evidence to come out or, or for not actively investigating it? And one of the theories I have in the book is that it's a, it's a conspiracy, but it's a benevolent conspiracy mm. in that um, these creatures actually are pretty dangerous or at least can be. Um, and Therefore, uh, maybe they are, uh, one theory is that there is sort of a, a, a war of extermination going on under, under, uh, and I know how crazy all of this sounds. People who tuned into the first part of this podcast are like, <laughs> wow, this went, this went sideways Sleep. in a hurry. <laughs> but, uh, but just buy the monster hike, buy the book, and and, and I th- there's a much more uh, a coherent explanation of it then. But 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 they're actually thinking about okay, there's Boy Scouts in this forest, and or mm-hmm. there's a there's a a ladies birding group uh, from Houston that's come up here for the day, or you know there's an old man who a retired old man who's who's walking the entire Lone Star Trail by himself, which would be me um, when I did it. And uh, and they're actually trying to protect this group. And so uh, because some of them have have shown themselves to be dangerous, uh, the only the only safe way to take care of them is is sort of just either thin the herd or kill them off completely. And they're in in doing that, you know, covering up the evidence or denying the evidence then becomes uh, uh, as important as as killing them because um, once they're established in science once there's consensus that they exist 
then you've got a mountain of regulation. You've got huge swaths of the forest that are off limits. Uh, and there's, and so, uh, so for now, for the time being, they can kill them with impunity uh, mm. because they don't exist. <laughs> right. No They're law. not an endangered species or anything. There's no law against killing a Bigfoot. Uh, mm. Except in Washington. Actually, they're at Washington State. There actually is. Well, there's like a pamphlet from the 1970s that, that lists them on their species list. Uh, but that was, <laughs> that was short-lived, I think. But it's something that, that Bigfootologists always point to. Um, but yeah, they, so so there's sort of a, a, a feeling that since they since they don't officially exist, there's no bag limit on them. There's no season on hunting them. Uh, yeah. It's just, you know, it's just make the problem go away. Uh, and so that's one theory. Um, I don't yeah. know that that's the case, but but based on based on the things that I saw and heard uh, in the woods, uh, it's in the in the other evidence <laughs> that other people have put forth because on the aggregation of all of that evidence, that's that's one uh explanation for for why we don't why there's not scientific consensus or government acknowledgement that they exist seems the most plausible uh explanation honestly but it could, could they possibly be so advanced that there's some sort of long-standing truce of you stay out of our way and we could coexist but people start seeing you around there's war coming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it's it's hard to know, I, of course, but I I subscribed, I think, to the the fact that they the, the survival strategy that they have adopted is one of putting as many natural barriers between them and us as possible. Now, in a place like East Texas, where my book is set. Um, those parcels of land are smaller and smaller all the time. I mean, they're, they would have to be weaving their way between farms in this national forest, even, you know, properties that were grandfathered into the national forest when it was created and sort of this weird patchwork. Um, they piece together as much forest as they can and have, have brought back as much growth as they can, but there are still farms out there. So, so they're still, you know, they're going, they're crossing under highways um, they're crossing over county roads. That's where a lot of sightings take place. There's a bridge that goes across a lake, a large lake north of Houston that supplies Houston with a lot of its fresh water. And there were sightings on that bridge of creatures. The very same morning, I was hearing clear what they call wood knocks. We're getting into the weeds here of, of the, the Bigfoot, Bigfooting phenomena. But, but I heard uh, clear knocks in my camp uh, at six o'clock on a January morning and heard a call and response. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a branch just falling off a tree. It was like, clunk, like really close to my hammock. And then a double knock about a quarter mile away. So, and to me, there was, no, there was something with hands that was making those sounds uh, very clear on a very, very still and quiet morning. And at that very, and I found out months later, I was browsing on this 
Bigfoot uh, database, Bigfoot sighting database, that there was another sighting, a man and a woman who were both commuting to work through the forest and both saw the same creature uh, on, on this bridge, on a highway bridge that was uh, nine miles to my east of where I was camping at the very same moment that I was hearing two of them to my west. So, so that, that was a very unusual situation of, of having independent witness, three independent witnesses reporting three, at least three uh, Sasquatches within a nine mile radius in this, in this forest. So it's kind of crazy. There's not, I don't, I'm not aware that there are any other uh, instances like this in which you've got independent witnesses able to kind of make a head count in yeah. a, of a, a, in a certain area, just purely by coincidence, just because I knew, I knew what I was hearing and they knew what they were seeing <laughs> and we all reported it uh, into the central database. And so, uh, so how many of them are there in, in North America? Impossible to know. Right. But, but I know there were three within nine miles, uh, nine square miles, you know, of uh, of this location. That's just about an hour north of Houston. So, um, who knows? It would not surprise me if there were four or five thousand in North America. I mean, the numbers might be might be vastly more than that. I mean, if you if we're talking all the way into can into Canada and Alaska, in which of course there've been you know, hundreds of sightings up into, up into Alaska and down into, you know, as far South as probably, uh, you know, the, the Rockies in New Mexico and sightings in Mexico as well. Um, and I haven't really dug into that, but anyway, they're, and, and East of the Mississippi, we think just as many as West of the Mississippi I mean, the kind of the famous sightings are all, or in the Pacific Northwest, right? Right. Uh, the Patterson-Gimlin photo from Northern California reports out of Washington State and Oregon, but uh, also to like tons of sites in Florida, the Skycape yeah. in Florida, uh, the swamp, you know, uh, the swamp environment, and a lot, and actually a lot of East Texas is very similar looking to Florida, and that there's palmetto growing right next to pines. So there's kind of that ecosystem in effect still, but throughout the South, up the Appalachian Trail, uh, Southeastern Ohio is hot, Michigan is hot, Western Pennsylvania, upstate New York, uh, you know, sightings, there's everywhere there's, there's uh, 40 inches of rain, say, 35 or 40 inches of rain. They seem to be living around there and they're able to eke out a living, uh, and that's a whole other podcast, probably about how that about the, how that happens. But in any event, I you know obviously I find it fascinating to think that there's another uh, there's a competitor hominid uh, all around the world too, and not just not just North America, but but around the world. Um, yeah, and 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 if they are here and able to stay completely hidden. Uh, mostly hidden we'll say 
because obviously right. except for those except for those 10,000 exactly yeah. exactly yeah but, you know that's a you know we couldn't do that <laughs> like <laughs> oh no like if there was right. another if there was another uh species and humans were trying to hide obviously there, there's billions of, of people but even if there were I don't I don't think we'd be nearly as good at at hiding and using nature to uh pr- protect ourselves from no way yeah no way. so it's interesting we couldn't we couldn't last a week Dude, most of us I, I I choose to believe that they they know enough that you know there's not going to be a bigfoot human war on this planet yeah no. um but that we just occupy we occupy <laughs> different niches you know uh there's a fascinating theory that that one uh, couple came up with, a couple of authors came up with, which is that uh, uh, this is so compelling to me that that humans are to Bigfoots as dogs are to wolves. Mm. So we both We're the domesticated breed of <laughs> yes, exactly. We we both descend from a common ancestor, uh, and in fact, dogs descended from wolves. And so, right. in that respect, we could say, well, maybe maybe we descended from Sasquatch. Uh, but what happened was that dogs were bred down in size. The dogs are much more social. They yap all the time. Right? They uh, they're much more diurnal. They're active during the day as opposed to night and so that's another that's another differentiation is that humans are active in the day and they think that sasquatches are more active at night and so that just that alone uh kind of kind of starts to separate the species logistically right yeah if we're just active in the day and they're mainly active at night then just that fact would uh would suggest you know how it's possible that we that we're staying apart uh amongst a lot of other things but but that whole dog to dog to wolf thing is fascinating for me think about the you know dogs living in in you know bigger groups and uh and the, even the way like wolves will howl over long distances you know wolves live in, in relatively small packs in isolated areas and communicate with each other with this howling over long distances. The exact same is thought to be true for Sasquatches, that they live in very small. You know, that's part of their survival strategy is the smallness of their group, their social groups. And yeah. they think it's usually just a family group uh, at a time. You know, it's a it's a mother and father and two kids usually is the theory. Um, and and um over long distances and that that's a common feature of it's it's the wood knocking that i discussed a minute ago uh and then these vocalizations and we're not sure what the vocalizations mean but it's it's probably the same basic meaning as for wolves which is hey i'm over here (laughs) that might be what the howl is or it could be hey i've killed the deer it's it's supper time yeah come Uh, eat (laughs) yeah yeah soup's on uh, so who knows what, what all of these things mean. Um, there's also, you know, wood structures, like, uh, tree structures we could talk about, you know, the, the sort of these teepee 
elite formations out in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, that, that would never result from wind, you know, blowing these things down. There's, these are relatively complicated structures that they think are maybe blinds of some sort, like hunting blinds uh, that, that the Sasquatch might use to like ambush their prey or uh, in other cases, maybe they're territorial markers, like uh, between competitive groups uh, saying, Hey, this is, this is, this is our territory, you know, don't come in here. Uh, so again, anybody's guess really, but uh, it's, it's a fascinating subject for me. Yeah. Well, I, I, I feel like we could talk for, uh, for days on end. Um, but Nobody would listen. So Alas. <laughs> if we could only get paid for talking. Right? Uh, yeah, that, that's the dream, <laughs> isn't it? Um, before I let you go, I'm going to I'm going to save the audience at least. But afterwards, maybe I'll tell you about the Bigfoot movie. I, I'm, I'm, I want to film this winter. But, oh, hey. But, All right. <laughs> but uh, before I let you go, <laughs> uh, where where can people find you? Tell, you know, the uh, River Nuts, the latest book. Tell us. All, all all of that info all and i'll the put info. the info in the show notes of course well the the good the good part is that i have a very unusual name and in the in the internet age uh, if you spell my name right you're gonna find it all <laughs> so it's a that helps. that's a that's a v v is in vampire a v r e l is my first name my last name is seal with a silent e at the end so s-e-a-l-e and uh yeah the names of the books are uh, the river nuts is the latest one uh with one hand tied behind my brain was before that and uh the sasquatch book we've been talking about is called monster hike uh 100 mile inquiry into the sasquatch mystery so uh but yeah having having a, an unusual name was never an advantage until the internet came along yeah tell tell me about it <laughs> now, now it's great i love it yeah it, <laughs> thank you mom <laughs> yeah it, it it's helpful nowadays yeah. to, to be a little uh different a differentiator uh, yeah yeah i i i love my last name <laughs> yeah, yeah <I> bet. <laughs> it's not many of us um Avril, thank you so much for coming on uh and uh everyone needs to uh check out the books and uh yeah, hit hit us up with your Bigfoot theories. Yeah, <laughs> at least me, I I love them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks That's again, April. It's been a real pleasure, man. I uh, I appreciate the talk. Let's do it again sometime. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's it. That's all. Hope you had a ball. Thank you, Avril Seal. Check out all of the links for him. Get a couple of his books. Um, yeah, it was was really, I felt good uh, after talking with him. And uh, I'm fairly certain we talked for, for a little uh, chunk there, even after the recording. Um, good dude. Um, pleased to uh, have made his acquaintance uh, and... Uh, yeah, I might be consulting him on a Bigfoot thing I'm, I'm working on. Um, more on that when and if it happens. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, that's it. That's all. I, I, I guess I said it. Make sure you follow uh, the show on uh, Instagram, Facebook, X, like formerly Twitter. 
it's really a weird name. I, I just can't like what, it, <laughs> you know, what do you, uh, Hey, look at this tweet. What do you say now? Look at this X post. Po- uh, just, I don't know. Weird branding decision. I don't dislike Elon Musk, but that was a, that's, I know he's losing money on Twitter anyways. He, he said that going in. So maybe he's just trying to tank the whole thing, which would probably frankly be good for all of us. Um, take one for the team, Elon. Um, follow me on all those places anyways, whatever ones you have. Um, TikTok's not currently installed on my phone. Um, I'm sure I'll get it back at some point. Um, YouTube, I, I, I neglected the channel while I was filming Haunted Happy Hour, uh, but I put up two Drunk Jeff Eats last week, and that's saying that, hoping that I actually ended up putting up the second one, which I have not yet edited and posted. Uh, and I've talked with Jeremiah. We will be recording four more episodes, in, and that includes, man, I can't speak English today. That includes the final four finale of our animal tournament, uh, which if you haven't been watching, I guess I shouldn't spoil it for you, but um, we're, we're down to the final four and we've got some exciting matchups. Actually, they're, I think, <laughs> I think they're all going to be blowouts, but we'll make it fun. And who doesn't like watching animal fight videos? I mean, that's just fun, a fun way to pass the time. Uh, so yeah, follow me on all those things. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, this, this outro has gotten away from me, folks. So boom, it's over. Thanks for listening. It was amazing. (laughs) I, I loved it. Be sure to come back for another great episode. I'm one wing away from Jeff Macalino. Of the Jeff Macalino Podcast. How much time did you spend on thinking of the name of your podcast? You went just straight, that's my name. I'll add the word podcast to it. Yup. See you next week.